the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Well, today we're talking about um, a topic that's incredibly important. As I say that, everything we talk about is incredibly important, right? I mean, I'm preaching the Bible, so this is extremely important every time we come together. This uh, is important because of the pressing reality in the current world in which we live. Now, this is a sermon that is on gender confusion, where we're going to be talking about transgenderism. Now, I have to tell you, I have never heard of somebody preaching a sermon on this topic, and somebody might come up to me and be like, yeah, maybe that's why you should have shied away from it, Derek, because no one has ever preached on this before. I'm sure that there have been some who have, but I have never heard such a sermon. Some of that is that the reality in which we're living right now as human beings in this particular time, in this particular place, in this particular country is one in which there just seem to be new inventions that, uh, of sorts of things that people you know, just would not have anticipated arising, right? So one of them is, the, is this particular reality of gender confusion. And so it's important for us to address it in a biblical way. As we have been working through this sermon series, there have been some challenging topics for us to address together. And I know, I've sensed the fact that this congregation is praying for me and for the church. And that is an incredible gift. And I want to tell you how thankful I am for it. Today's sermon will be on gender confusion. We're going to take a look at three different sections of scripture. I'm going to start us with Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy in the second part of the sermon, and then we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians in the third part of the sermon. These are each uh, beautiful and challenging texts of scripture, particularly for our time, really important for us to consider. And so we're going to start Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. 
So it's important for us to begin at the beginning when we talk about these sorts of things, Genesis chapter 1, because creating us male and female is not an invention of any human culture or person, but the creation of humanity as men and women is a gift given to us by God. It's one of the first things that we notice. And in fact, as Genesis gives to us the story, the narrative of the creation of human beings, one of the things that's highlighted is the fact that God has determined to create humanity in two parts, two corresponding parts, equal in dignity and worth, different in the beautiful differences that are expressed in the fact that we are created men and women. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female. He created them. What a succinct and beautiful statement of the creation of humanity. As God gives to us this word of creation about who we are as humanity, he says, all right, so God, this is what the Bible gives us. God created humans, and he created humans as men and women. This fundamental distinction is a part of the beautifully, wonderfully, gloriously good way that God made the world to be. And one of the things that is so important for us to recognize is that when we come to the Bible and we read about Genesis 1 and 2, these are the the only two sections of scripture that tell us about the world before sin has entered into it. We hit Genesis 3, and then we, come into, uh, then we come into the reality of the fact that humanity is fallen. But in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we are given the world as God intended it to be. And part of the created reality that God gives to us is that his intention for humanity is that it would be men and women, that we'd be created as men and women. God is so creative and glorious. He didn't need to create us with these distinctions. He didn't need to create humanity with men and women, but he did as a part of his good and beautiful plan. Throughout the scriptures, when these things are talked about, it gets at the beautiful mystery of this reality. Proverbs 30, 18 and 19 say this, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is poetic and beautiful and gets at that which is so glorious that the wise writer, Solomon of Proverbs, said that he doesn't really understand. As a human being who has natural limitations, even Solomon in all of his wisdom doesn't know what it is like to soar like an eagle. He can't possibly know how a serpent can move without legs, but with such speed and strength. As a human being, he can't know what it would be like to experience the waves that pound on the high seas and yet be undaunted and cut right through them. And as a human being, there's an aspect of human life that he can't claim to understand because of its mystery and beauty. And that's the way of a man and a woman together. Something that he knew of experientially and yet could not describe because of its wonder and glory. As we talk about the differences between men and women, we have to realize that the Bible is troubling to people committed to any secular ideology of maleness and femaleness. The Bible speaks of strong men and strong women. My favorite example is Ruth 3, when Ruth is given 80 pounds of barley that she brings back home in her shawl 
That's a strong woman right there. I couldn't carry 80 pounds on my back home from the threshing fields in a shawl and give it to Aubrey. I'm not as strong as Ruth. J.L. sees the leader of this pagan forces, Sisera, and determines that she's going to pound a tent peg through his temple, putting the final nail in the coffin of the reign of Canaan in the time of Deborah and Barak. At the same time, you should note that biblical women use their strength in a way that's unlike secular feminism. First Peter 3 says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Men in scripture, likewise, don't fit into stereotypical categories of secular Americanism. David is known for slaying tens of thousands in battle and also for his poetry writing. How do men use their strength in the scriptures? They lay it down for the sake of others, particularly for their wife. Poetry and mystery in the scriptures get at an essential reality that men and women are gloriously different, utterly equal in dignity, different in makeup, and that difference, that distinction is excellent. God created maleness and femaleness before the fall. It's not a result of sin. It's a result of the creative insight of a wonderful God. Throughout scripture, we're told about complementary pairs, light separated from darkness and day from night and waters above from waters below and land from water and woman from man. And these differences are essential and complementary and excellent as a part of the glory of God creating the world. N.T. Wright says, the beauty and brilliance of God's creation is that diverse unlike things, are made to unite and create dynamic wholes which generate more and more life and beauty through their relationships. It's the uniting of male and female that's the climax of this. So let me just say this. Women, you are different from men. And it is glorious that you are different from men. And men, you're different from women. And it is glorious that you are different from women. Men and women, we share equal dignity, equal image bearing, and yet also incredible difference. Sexual complementarity of male and female is basis bonding. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that that the woman is made as a suitable helper for a man. Suitable helper means a like opposite to him. Therefore, relationality is built into our very bodies because of this. Bodies of man and woman fit together. In their very anatomy and materiality, we were created with relationship and communion and intimacy in mind, and this complementary structure leads to fruitfulness. Men and women created in the image of God, equal in dignity, equal in respect, equal in worth, different in makeup and function. And all of that is so good. Now that takes us to the, um, the second part where we need to talk about some of the ways that in this fallen world we can abuse or mistreat what God has given to us. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 gives us an entry into this. 
Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 tells us that a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. You see, God made us male and female. And to undermine that is not good. In fact, to undermine that reality of being created male and female is sinful. Therefore, in Deuteronomy 22, we're told that men shouldn't wear women's clothing and women shouldn't wear men's clothing. Men shouldn't, this means, present themselves as women and women should not present themselves as men. One chapter later in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it talks about removing physical indicators of one's sex and how that would prevent someone from entering the temple. It's a sin to reject God's good gifts of maleness or femaleness and instead to try to adorn your body with the body of the opposite sex. And that, sadly, is exactly what's happening today. Rachel Gilson defines what's happening right now today by saying this, though transgender is an umbrella term for many experiences, at its most basic, it describes people whose internal subjective sense of gender or identity doesn't match the objective sex that they were born into. Some people respond to this friction by living according to their subjective sense as opposed to the gender that matches their sex. A trans man is a female in sex who lives in the world as a man. A trans woman is a male in sex who lives in the world as a woman. A small percentage of transgender people elect to surgically align their bodies with the gender they identify with. In the past, this surgical procedure was called a sex change, though more people are now calling it gender affirmation surgery. But most trans people do not have surgery for a variety of reasons, ranging from preference to affordability. Instead, they may wear different clothes and take hormones that affect their hair patterns, voice frequency, and things like fatty tissue. They may also choose a new name and use pronouns that match their gender identity. These are consequential and often controversial decisions made because that internal feeling is so compelling. What would it mean to not feel like you were the sex that you were born into? To feel this so strongly that you would say that you know you're the other gender? For many, it's extremely disorienting and psychologically painful. But we need to be careful. Like many things, these feelings occur along a spectrum. Some transgender people feel slight incongruence between their sex and gender, whereas others feel it debilitatingly. Some experience distress at the presence of their feelings, while others do not. There is no one-size-fits-all trans experience. For example, some people reject the sex binary altogether. That is, they don't feel only masculine or only feminine, but may choose to express aspects of both at once or express them differently from one day to the next. They reject being only man or woman and may identify as gender queer, non-binary, or gender fluid. Now, all of this is a trading of what God has intended for us in creation as making us male and female for something other than that. It's a turning away from what it is that God has intended to something other than that. And the call of the Christian in all of this is to love and to love in truth. Feelings that transgender individuals feel can be debilitating or painful. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, 
Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Another author notes that this trend of seeking to have gender reassignment surgery is particularly prevalent among girls, and especially those who are exposed to pornographic material at a young age. They see the way that men and women are depicted in pornographic material and think, I don't want that, so I must not be a girl. I must be a man, a boy. It's also common among those who were abused as children. Girls want to become boys to protect themselves from men who prey on them. Boys want to become girls because they desperately want not to be themselves but to receive the protection of men rather than the abuse. Sometimes it happens because all of a sudden it's in the ether. It's an option. It's in the world as we see it and know it. One of the things that was noted by one researcher is that as this moves into a friend group, it tends to spread among friend groups. People see one of their friends transition from one sex to the other, and they find that they want to do that same thing. Some of it is out of a sense to fit in with their particular group. One of the things that's terribly sad is that parents will sometimes harm their children by putting them through a process by which they seek to change their gender. This should not be so. Anthony Esselin puts it starkly. Let me read what he says about this. He says, picture in your mind a healthy boy of eight or nine years. He does not have the pallor of someone who lived under fluorescent lamps all his life. His hair is cut in a boyish way, and it has that slight craziness about it that you get when the hair is a little thick and unruly. His shoulders are broad by comparison with his hips. He has what Marilyn Robinson happily called skinny boy strength. He's a little man. Now what sort of imagination could look at that boy and hope that one day his skull would be whittled down? His voice, already showing signs of tenor and bass, will be thwarted by mechanical and pharmaceutical means. His body will be pumped up with carcinogens so that it will resemble a poor imitation of a girl. And his developing manhood will be lopped off and his crotch eventually carved out and troweled out. It's a hideousness that might give us second thoughts. Or look at the little girl. Her hair is long and slender, falling like water upon her shoulders. It gleams in the sun. Her hips are broad relative to her shoulders, and her flesh is soft because she is the sex that must bear children, and that fat that will allow her to do so makes itself manifest already in the curves of her body. Her voice is higher than her brother's, and sweeter. As long as she lives, it will retain something of that childlike quality which speaks without words, speaks about gentleness, and a large capacity for love. Now imagine those hips shaved away, the developing breasts cut off, her body pumped up with carcinogens so it will resemble a poor imitation of a boy, a bearded lady fitted with a prosthesis, a mockery of manhood. Who is enamored of things so miserable So sad. We are. That's who. We are. These may be hard words because this is a difficult reality. 
And some of it speaks to the fact that we live in a world that is so deeply confused. It's hard to walk in it and through it and not be deeply confused yourself. There are a few things that are more fundamental than being made a, a boy or a girl, a male or a female, a man or a woman. And yet, if you were to explain what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, could you do it with a great deal of clarity? Could you do it with a great deal of facility? I couldn't. Some of that is because the difference between men and women is beautiful and glorious, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the message, and some of it is that as a society, we have lost an understanding of what it means to be a man or a woman. In almost every culture across the globe throughout human history, there was an agreed-upon set of assumptions that you could turn to that would express what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. In almost every culture throughout history, there were different rituals and rites which would indicate and delineate when a boy became a man and when a woman became, or when a girl became a woman. Even recently in American history, there were things that, uh, things that would indicate those sorts of things, right? Like a debutante ball, which would indicate the moment where a girl becomes a woman. These were things that were prized by society. A young girl becoming a woman, a young boy becoming a man. You know, we've lost a sense of those sorts of things. And one of the things that we can say as Christians is because sometimes these beautiful differences between men and women have been reduced to stereotypes, sometimes oppressive stereotypes, about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. Christians reject stereotypical understandings of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. I'm somebody that doesn't fit into sort of like stereotypical categories of what it means to be a man. I love improv comedy and musical theater. It's not the most masculine stuff, right? But that's the stuff that I really love. And so growing up, growing up in a world that is so confused about all these sorts of things and growing up in a high school that would sometimes mock me for those sorts of things, it's uncomfortable and it's confusing, right? And so is the church we have the opportunity to offer something much, much better. Not mockery or scorn for not fitting into this or that expression of masculinity or femininity, but a wonderful acknowledgement of the good and necessary distinctions and differences between men and women. An appreciation for the other rather than an insulting of it. And a refusal to disregard the principle that men and women are different. And that's good. I was uh, doing marriage counseling with a, with a couple, and they said, all right, so we're about to get married. What are the man things to do, and what are the women things to do once we're married? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, how do you not know? You're a pastor. Which person has to take out the garbage? Which person has to do the cooking? I was like, I, d- I don't know. They're like, but we need to know so that we can live into what it is to be a man or a woman. And I was like, you know what? 
Sometimes I take out the garbage, sometimes Aubrey does, sometimes she will cook dinner, sometimes I will. You know, and the fact that that changes doesn't mean that we are switching out of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Being a man or woman is deeper and more fundamental than those sorts of things. What you should not do is deny the principle, right, within marriage that one of you is a man and one of you is a woman, and that means you're called to different roles in the marriage, but it does not mean that you're reduced to who takes out the garbage and who doesn't. Although I said that once in a sermon and I got a text from a a woman in the congregation. She said, my husband tells me he doesn't have to take the garbage out anymore because of your sermon. She's like, I'm pretty disappointed in you. (laughs) Don't you just try to get out of your chores, all right? But recognize that God has created you as a man or woman and this is an incredible, it's an incredible gift. It's a glorious gift. Treasure that. And treasure it, treasure it in those that you know. I mean, treasure it in your spouse. If you're married, treasure it in your spouse. It's so wonderful that the other is like and yet unlike you. Treasure it in your children. I mean, one of the things I do with my, with my kids, because I know how confusing the world is, is that I will tell my son, I'll be like, Robert, you're my son. I'm so glad you're my son. You're my boy. I'll tell Elsie, because things are confusing. Elsie, you're my daughter. I'm so glad you're my daughter. You're such a lovely girl. So let your kids, your grandkids, or your friends' kids, your friends' grandkids know how, how good it is that God made them the way that he made them. And for any in our midst that might be confused, know, know that we love you so much. And we want to help you live into the way that God has created you to be. And that there's freedom, there's freedom in living in the ways that God has made us to be. There's good, beautiful freedom. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.